Hip-hop takes the stand in the new documentary As We Speak, Rap Music on Trial, now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Rap lyrics are playing an increasingly prominent role in criminal cases. Every song, every lyric, every video that you've ever been involved with, they're going to use against you. Follow rap artist Kemba as he explores the weaponization of rap lyrics in the criminal justice system. This artistic expression is a confession. I'm ready. Roll the tape. Watch the eye-opening new documentary As We Speak, Rap Music on Trial, exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply. Get fired up. Oh, yeah. Performance enhancing audio. audio. This is the State of Combat Podcast with Brian Campbell. Oh, yeah. Back at it. You love the new theme song. I know you do. It's the State of Combat Podcast MMA edition on CBS Sports. I'm the Brian Campbell. And I have a Hall of Famer, as always, sitting across from me via the magic of Zoom. Shout out to Zoom, whoever's put stock in that during this quarantine. It is Sugar Rashad Evans, your UFC light heavyweight champion, the Hall of Famer, the earthquake survivor, all that. Rashad, after a weekend off of Memorial Day, we back, baby. Trust me, we back with the fights this weekend. How you doing, man? I'm doing great, man. We back indeed, man. Had a good uh, Memorial Day weekend. Spent it with the family and... Uh... Ready to watch some UFC fights, man. The weekend was a long weekend. I mean, they kind of spoiled us with those eight days. I mean, a few days without fights felt kind of crazy again. <laughs> eight crazy nights. Uh, UFC got through it. We all got through it. We had a weekend off. We'll be back this weekend, this Saturday, of course, with UFC Fight Night. It'll be in Las Vegas. A one hell of a main event with Tyron Woodley and Gilbert Burns at welterweight. We will break that down today. A lot of interesting headlines as well. That Rashad and I will get through. Uh, like I always say, Rashad, you give uh, these athletes time to just sit at home, you know, maybe maybe, maybe a couple drinks in hand and get the Twitter fingers itchy, and suddenly you got Conor McGregor ranking the all-time goats, and suddenly, oh, okay. before you know it, it looks like Nate Diaz and Masvidal are going to fight, and then, then your guy Ali is suddenly taking Sean Shelby's job. What the hell's going on here? Yeah, a lot is going on. That's what it, the Twitter fingers, the Twitter fingers get going when there's no fights going. And listen, a lot of fighters are chomping at the bit to, for the opportunity. And right now is a perfect time for it because the landscape isn't settled yet. There's a lot of uncertainty going around. So if you're going to chop at the bit, now is the time because you might get fed something. You just might. You just might. Uh, interesting stuff. Hopefully everyone out there is doing well in the uncertain quarantine times. Uh you know, things are going well on my end, Rashad. Hopefully the same with you and your family. we got to keep mentally tough because it's, it's wacky, you know? Every time I think I'm good, I watch the damn news. <laughs> I make that mistake, Rashad. And then I'm like, oh, my God, Brazil's going to go under. What's going on here? So hopefully all of our MMA brethren in Brazil are doing well. Yeah, no, no, no news for me, man. Just meditating a little bit. I, I, I keep my pulse on it just to know nothing too crazy is going on. But for the most part, I stay news-free. Absolutely. We all enjoyed uh, – the last dance doc that ESPN rolled oh, out yeah. the last 10 weeks. And they gave us part one of Lance Armstrong this weekend. Did you check that out at all? No, I didn't. I did it. I, I was kind of, I, I have a hard time watching stuff like that because I, I have a hard time watching people fall from grace. That just, it hurts me for them. You know what I'm saying? Well, I would be interesting to hear your takes once you do watch it. If you do, because uh, they paint and they paint a complicated picture of a complicated man because you're torn with like, Damn, Lance Armstrong's an a-hole, which is really the feeling you get during most of it. Then other times you're like, well, you know, he kind of did what he had to do in a in a dirty sport. So uh, it's it, it's interesting. I'm sure. I'm gonna wa- I'm gonna watch it now just because you said that. I'm gonna uh, watch it. Sure, uh, more than a few fighters have walked through that tough decision making in the past. 
Uh, it is what it is, Rashad, okay? It is what it is. Right? No, no, no more dick pills. Please. No more dick pills. Thank you, John. All right. Uh, Rashad, it's an MMA show. We're going to break all that down. But um, did you know that college football is inching closer by, by any – but are you, I mean, pro sports kind of figuring out how to come back. Um, so it might be the perfect time right now to unveil the college football off-season rankings. Rashad, maybe it could have been you at Michigan State at linebacker. Or half maybe. maybe okay. Great, great decorated wrestling career. But all throughout May, the Cover Three podcast team has been counting down their preseason top twenty-five in separate episodes. And this week on CBS Sports, they'll focus on the top five. Don't worry about a huge time commitment. Chip Patterson and company have been breaking down each team in their hurry-up hot seat series in under fifteen minutes. Where will Clemson and Ohio State rank? Bringing back the top two quarterbacks in the country. I don't know. Will Alabama crack the top three after losing Tua? I can't answer that. But each day this week, the Cover 3 podcast will. They'll have all your answers about the very best teams in the nation. Download, subscribe, Apple Pods, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you can find it. It is the Cover 3 pod. And please tell them BC sent you. Rashad, are you a diehard uh, Spartan football fan? Due to your- I am. Okay. I am, man. I am. We we, we suffered some, uh, some hard years lately, but... Um, Hopefully, with the coach change, things will be able to get back on track. You know, were they a top twenty-five contender when you were there? Yeah, we were. We we crawled our way up in there. I mean, we beat Michigan a couple times when I was there. We had a pretty good run, but we just weren't the team that we were when I when I left. But uh, we were close. Hey, Sparty, uh, you ever uh, share a cold one or more with Jeff Smoker by any chance? I did. Yeah. Oh, whoa, Jeff Smoker. Oh, Smoker stories. How was that, dude? Smoker was cool, man. Smoker was cool. Smoker, Smoker was a wild card, man. He was a wild card. You got to understand, during those years while you're in college with Smoker, I'm smoking while in college on a couch watching college football. And, of course, everybody's like, oh, that, guy, that guy's name is Smoker? Oh, he has personal <laughs> issues, but he's got a gun of a right hand. That's our guy right there, okay? So that yeah. was our guy, I believe. Yeah, Smoker was a man. Remind me of Jim McMahon a little bit, you know, kind of a gunslinger. Yes, yes, he was, yes. All right, we're going to be right back around the corner with your latest headlines and more after a quick pause for the cause. Yes, please enjoy. Dig it. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. It's the NFL offseason, but on Pick 6, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, the football season never stops. Host Will Brinson, John Breach, and Tyler Sullivan are joined by analysts like Brady Quinn, Leslie Ducible, Katie Mox, and R.J. White to keep you in the loop on everything happening around the league. Whether it's free agents signing with new teams, the all-important NFL draft, or schedule release day, Pick 6 has you covered. As the face of the league changes with every team move and player pickup this spring, Pick 6 is a must-listen. Download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and anywhere podcasts are found. Yeah, we're back. BC, Rashad Evans, it's your MMA podcast on the state of combat. Hopefully, you're rocking out to the new theme song. But Rashad Evans, uh, we've got a lot of weird news. So here's the latest on Kamara Usman, the welterweight champion. 
a, a man you have trained with uh, many times. He has come out through the manager of the stars, Ali Abdelaziz, <laughs> say, hey, look, if Masvidal wants Nate Diaz, I am willing to give Conor McGregor a welterweight title shot. Now, Rashad, I want to just set the stage here. We talked about itchy Twitter fingers. It kind of all started with Connor putting out his GOAT rankings, very in-depth, greatest of all time on Twitter, why he thinks he's number two. We'll get to that in a minute. But somehow that led to Nate Diaz commenting and then Masvidal commenting. And then Nate and, and Jorge had a back and forth. And let's not forget that Dana had said, even on, it, on this show a couple weeks back, you know, I don't think uh, Masvidal Usman is the fight right now. We may have something different for Jorge. I know Ali is not the matchmaker, although he tries very hard and he's very successful at it. Is there any chance this could work out where we get BMF rematch, Nate and Jorge, and Connor goes for the glory of trying to become your first three-division champion against Usman? Yeah, I can totally see that. I mean, with the hype that Masvidal is getting right now, um, a title shot would be nice, and it would be a pretty good blockbuster. But I think they can ride this Masvidal horse a little bit longer. And I think they can get a lot more out of him. Uh, if he goes against Kamaru, I don't think that he's going to be able to get past Kamaru. I think he's going to be able to make it interesting. But for the most part, Kamaru just has some tools that he's just not ready for yet, you know, with that wrestling game, strong, dominant wrestling game. I just haven't seen anything in Masvidal's game to say that he's going to be able to withstand that wash and repeat game that Kamaru has. So it, it seems like the best move that you put him in is another fight with Diaz where you can kind of cash in the Diaz because – Diaz only has a few more years of earning anyways, you know, before he loses uh, that ability to earn like he, he's been able to. So you got to be able to draw him back into the conversation. And then that, that, that's a good matchup that you don't even have to sell. And then you have the Connor and Usman. That, that could be a pretty good fight as well, too, because Connor is, is, is a sell no matter what, no matter what. And giving him an opportunity just amplifies that whole Connor uh, a stardom, you know what I'm saying? So uh, this could be huge, man. All right, there's a we, we like to play matchmaker on the show, and we like to take it from the standpoint of understanding that this is a business, understanding that rankings really don't always matter when they get in that UFC war room. So a couple things we have to consider here, the same considerations we'll make in a minute when we talk about Dana poo-pooing the John Jones-Francis Ngannou fight that we all want. Uh, I still don't know if UFC is actually willing to run Conor McGregor into something, Rashad, when we don't have a live gate, when you're no straight up, we are not getting the, you know, 9, 10, 11 million that Connor brings in for a live gate each fight because people have to be there. Yeah. So I could see them giving a chance because it's a wild card. Here's, here's what the UFC would be doing if they put him in there with Usman. They'd be saying, look, built in excuse if he loses. I said that yesterday on CBS Sports HQ. Your guy, Ali, quote tweeted me. He basically said, hey, guy, I don't know who you are, but you're right. Connor would be looking for that excuse. But you know what I mean by that is different. I mean, Connor, who is probably at his best at lightweight now because he can't make featherweight anymore. And even though he fought Nate twice at welterweight, even though he just beat up Cowboy at welterweight, he's not a real welterweight. No, no, There's no. an excuse there. If he goes out and get, tries for the knockout, doesn't get it, gets mauled like Woodley did, you go, okay, bad style matchup, not his division. Let's get back into celebrity fights at 155, and if we can make Habib, we'll do it. I get that. I get that. But can they send Conor McGregor out here responsibly in this pandemic situation and maximize him? I mean, at some point, you got to crap or get off, right? I think you can in one respect. 
if there is something that's different about this. Like there has to be uh, a, 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 something new to it. So by that, I mean, maybe like a fight island. You see a Conor McGregor and Usman fight island. Now that will be good because now you're piggybacking off of the interest off of the, the fight island aspect. And then that way you'll be able to capitalize on that draw that Conor has coupled with the interest that's going to be aligned with the fight island. And of course, if that matchup did happen, uh, it would be an opportunity. Uh, I said you couldn't lose. So what I mean by that is you'd have a built-in excuse if you're UFC. If Connor loses, you make a star out of Usman if he wins. And then, oh, by the way, if Connor shocks the world and knocks him out, now you've just you've taken a steroid needle. Everybody's on a steroid. And you've stuck it up the ass of Connor McGregor's market value, and you've yeah. just been like three-division champ. Here's your new superhero again. But everyone's going to say what we just said and thought. How the hell is Connor going to deal with Usman's wrestling? You remember this conversation between Connor and Chad Mendes? Connor, Connor, you know what wrestling is? I can, I can rest my belt on your forehead. <laughs> yeah, I know. So. You got to get the guy's quick. He's got a quick wit there. You got to give him that. All right, look. Um, he's never going to out wrestle Habib. That's always going to be a bad matchup. If you are going to run back a Connor Habib, Rashad, and we've talked about this before, you've got to be in the belief that. The Connor we saw at 229 against Habib was partying too much, was too confident, was focusing too much on wrestling and not being offensive. How different, though, is the challenge of a lightweight Namragomedov and a welterweight Usman from the idea that if you're training Connor, and let's just say for the sake of argument, he comes in at the best he's ever looked because he doesn't have to cut weight and he's mentally right. Let's say he went in there against Usman. Would he have more of a chance or less of a chance of scoring the type of knockout he would need to to avoid this becoming a long, drag-out wrestling match? Mm, interesting question. I think that, um, for one, on the wrestling aspect of it, if, if Kamaru uh, implemented a game, it could be like Habib, if not even worse, because Kamaru is a lot stronger and he has a position. But here's a caveat to all of that. I believe that he does stand a better chance based on this fact. You can bait Kamaru into a fight because Kamaru believes in the stand-up and the striking a lot more than Habib does. Not saying that Habib won't take any chances with the striking because we've seen him put Connor down yes, with that did. big right hand. So he, he will take chance with a striking and he will uh, strike with guys to, to let him know he does have hands and an ability to strike. But he's also very meticulous about where he wants the fight to happen at. He'll get the fight there. Even if he's having uh, success on his feet, he'll bring it back on the ground just so he can drive a point home and get it the way he wants to. Kamaru's not going to do that. If he's having his way on his feet, he's going to continue to exploit you on your feet. So I think in that respect, I think Kana would, would have more of a chance because Kamaru is going to take more chances on his feet. That's interesting. I, uh, Connor, if you remember, was very confident in, in the tweets he put out after Kamaru and Colby Covington in December had that, you know, not drag out boxing match brawl. He was very cocky in his tweets, which would lead you to believe he's watching that going, oh, God, if that guy looks to trade with me, I'm going to take him down. But I don't believe Connor has knockout power at welterweight, right? I mean, we've seen him put it on Nate. Now, Nate has a great chin, but. Yeah. You know, he in both fights, he was unable to finish Nate with landing some bombs. Um, that could be a difficult fight under any circumstance against Kamaru, but especially if he couldn't finish him, and then you start dragging on, and there's wrestling involved, and you start peeling at that gas tank. Uh, it would be interesting, but it'd kind of be the perfect Connor fight, uh, Rashad, and not just in the standpoint of the 
potential built-in rumor or a potential built-in excuse, but Connor loves to be in on almost these Muhammad Ali situations where you're mm-hmm. giving him no chance and that fuels him during training camp. And he knows, Hey, I got one chance to do it, but I'm going to put everything I got into that one chance. I mean, here's the credit you got to give him. He went into the Floyd fight, believing he can win. You got to give him that credit. You got to. Yeah. So that's interesting. Um, Nate tweeted out a picture of Masvidal on top of him about to punch him where a bloody Nate on the bottom was landing a shot, basically saying this was the moment that I knew you didn't want to be in this fight anymore. Oh, a lot of people looking at that picture go, Hey dude, I know that they stopped it when you were kind of coming on, but you got beat up for three rounds and Nate did right. even though he found ways to sort of counter and stay in it. at some point, do you see any difference in how that second fight could play out? And I think by the way, it would be the perfect fight to make for all parties. Yeah, I think it'll play out a lot different. I think so. Uh, first and foremost, the first time they went, they were almost too cordial with each other. And I think that kind of goes against the whole Diazism, whatever that makes him, that gives him his superpowers. You know what I'm saying? That that super FU skill that he has, you know, that that kind of mindset that only gets ignited when he's when he's confronted with the situation as he's building right now with Diaz, with, with Masvidal. So I think that it would be a different fight just based off of where the trash talking has went thus far the first time was respectable but this time i would expect nate to just come out and uh fight more aggressive from the beginning you know nate nate has been a slow starter in his last few fights and 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 with his fights with connor he's been able to uh been able to catch up because connor slows down but with a guy like masvidal who can continue to go and who's been fighting consistently he can't afford to get behind at all in this fight so he would have to come out and fight the kind of fight that he wants to fight in the third and fourth round That'd be interesting. Uh, I hope we see both. Maybe we'll see one at Fight Island. Who knows? But, uh, uh, you know, we've seen that poster floating around. It's false, right? But we've seen uh, Darren Till pushing a fake Ariel Hawani account saying we'll see uh, Usman McGregor July 4th. Uh, that's pretty soon, though. You'd think you'd want some time to stretch it out, promote that card, have both guys on SportsCenter a ton of times. I, again, it's unprecedented times right now. With I don't know how you're going right. to promote a fight these days. I mean, I guess you can do it like we're doing right now on Zoom and have everybody on there. But uh, should they pull some trigger the trigger on either of those two fights, you're going to have some some huge potential. Break out the red panties. We're rich, baby. A lot of people are going to get rich there. All right, um, we're still going to get to that John Jones and Gano situation, which does play a lot into the money and the ideas of, of how you decide to run your company from a matchmaking standpoint. But just to close on what Connor said, he came out with this goat rankings. We do this every, from time to time, right? We, you and I, we both believe in John Jones, right? As, as the goat, right, okay. right. you know, if he goes to heavyweight and does it. He could really cement that, but I wouldn't hate on anybody who has Anderson Silva. Number one, George St. Pierre, number one, maybe, maybe Fedor. If you're just old school and you, you just, you know, but I think that there are levels to greatness, and, we, and I think in the upper room right now, it's all those guys we mentioned, plus Demetrius Johnson and plus Daniel Cormier, but not Connor yet. So Connor came out and said Anderson Silva won. He said himself number two. He broke down all the reasons why. That started even Habib commenting, being like, look, dude, how could you be number two when you haven't defended a single title of the four you won in Cage Warriors and UFC? And oh, by the way, you tap out a lot. Leave that for another day. <laughs> but where I'm, what I'm interested in saying and asking you is this: um, I like these type of pointless debates at times because I think there should be a hierarchy to greatness. I think Jones is the best. All those other names I mentioned are right behind him in that exclusive upper table. Do you think, though, that Connor 
and Habib will enter that upper table by the time they retire? I think Habib definitely will. Um, Connor will, but it will be for different reasons. Uh, when, it, when it comes to the greatness, and, 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 I do, and I do get it, you know, the, to, the totality of it all is based on what you bring to the fight game, you know what I'm saying, as far as from a fight standpoint. But Connor, Connor has a greatness in his own, in his own rights, but I don't think it, it, when you're looking at it on the basis, if you're looking at a, uh, John Jones, St. Pierre, and Habib, I think it's, greatness is on a different level. Yeah, the issues against Connor are the lack of title defenses, um, the fact that, you know, that he had that amazing run at Featherweight. No one will ever right. get away from him. He beat young Poirier, beat young Holloway to add on to one punching Aldo. And then you give him the Eddie Alvarez win at Lightweight. Incredible. Has done nothing else at Lightweight. Has really done not much in three years. So uh, that certainly goes against him. But obviously he has, with the, market of, with the marketing and the pay-per-view sales, he still has an opportunity to make an incredible leap if he can add some big-name wins down the stretch. Habib is the interesting one, Rashad, because – He's still, in my opinion, lacking a few of those big namers. But right. if he ended it undefeated, adding a couple more, say he beat Gaethje. Let's say he beat either Connor or Ferguson. Let's say he beat a GSP if they let him or whomever. I mean, how, how are you going to keep him out of not just that top five, but you're going to have grounds to say he's the greatest fighter of all time. You really will. I think I think he's in stride of getting that that title of being the greatest of all time, and I and I say this because whenever we look at whoever was the greatest in time, we look at boxing and things like that. We we notice that the greatest was never truly appreciated in their time. It's not until we reflect and look at you know what the uh, what their, their the totality of the career was and and how you know what it all meant in the end. I think that's when you get a true respect of what that person does. And I think when, when it's all said and done, I think we're going to be able to get that perspective on Habib because I mean, being undefeated and being able to beat the people that he's been able to beat, how he's been able to beat them and dominating like how he has been able to do, you know, I don't, I don't think you're going to see anybody else do that for a long time, if ever. So I think when he's all said and done, provided that he continues to be an animal that he is, then I think that he's going to stand to us as, as, a, as a Fedor. Remember how Fedor was before he went and fought a little too long, you know? And, and it's weird. You, very few guys get out when they should or get out on top, right. walk away at such a strategic point that you have never seen their decline, right? It's like Rocky Marciano retires on top. Um, well, Floyd, Floyd stayed, but he, you know, he won the game. He beat the game, so to he speak. He beat the game. <laughs> um, you know, I, made a, I, had a, I had a story on CBS Sports for boxing last week that was like the 10 what-ifs. And my, one of my favorite what-ifs is, what if Roy Jones never fought again after beating John Ruiz for that heavyweight right. He would have been basically undefeated at 34, and you would have been like, you know what? He might be the best pound-for-pound fighter ever. ever. But then instead you see him fight till he's 49, get knocked out a bunch of times. You're like, uh, I've seen behind the curtain. Um, right. I hope Habib gets enough big ticket wins so that we're, we're not debating that element to it. Like Andre Ward just retired undefeated in boxing. Great fighter. Does he have enough though of those big name wins That's the to, thing. No. where you say, you know, he's up there with Floyd. Not really. Um, no. I hope I hope there's no doubt from Habib. But again, as it, fight that's a that's a journalist thing to care about this stuff. Rashad fighters tend to just be like, look, man, we fight whatever, right? You know, yeah. It's about, it's not about that stuff. It's not about some guy in his underwear in his basement. Okay, Campbell, so take that. All right, <laughs> uh, Rashad, let's get to that big ticket story, which is uh, it's a it's a head scratcher. But um, Twitter fingers took over. 
the idea of a John Jones, Francis Ngannou heavyweight fight. We know how this originated. It was during that OSP heavyweight fight a couple weeks back when John Jones started tweeting about uh, the ease that he believes he would have at heavyweight, even against an Ngannou because of the potential speed advantage. Frank Ngannou comes back with some comments. They're going back and forth. Then you get John saying, no, I would really take this fight. I really would. You and I debated this uh, in the last week of, you know, what John would look like at heavyweight, all that. But then it got super serious because John wouldn't stop and said, I will do this to the point of calling UFC. Now, Dana nor the UFC has commented publicly on this, and they don't tend to for any potential negotiations. But John Jones, in an exclusive interview with um, John Morgan of the MMA Roadshow last week, gave the breakdown. He says he talked to them, and they would not offer him any more money for moving up to heavyweight and facing Ngannou. Now, some of the kickers in that conversation per John was that UFC had told him throughout his career, the second you're ready to take on the big challenges, that's when you'll make the big money. That's when we will rip up your contract and sign up another one. And in some ways, you get it. Knowing the UFC pay system, they, they reward daring to be great. They want this type of stuff. Question is, do they want it now? In 2020, during this epidemic, during this new pay-per-view financial system, were you surprised to hear that not only did UFC tell John they're not willing to negotiate a number for this idea and they would pay him the same to fight Jan Blahowitz as they would against Ngannou, but even Dana in an interview with John Anik the other day on Instagram was like, oh, the fans really want that fight, but you know, I don't see it happening. Why, Rashad? Why the hell would he say that? Isn't this a Dana White slam dunk? Make it if you can. Do not pass go. Make this freaking fight now. What the hell's going on here? It would seem as if, like, this is a, a matchmaker's dream to have, but, um, you know, you got to look deeper. And, 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 I, and, I, and just thinking off the top of my head, you know, you can, you know, if you give John, John more money and you put him in a position to, to have a fight like France and Ghana is kind of like, uh, I don't know, may, maybe they don't want to reward him for his bad behavior. You know, maybe, maybe they don't, they don't want to put him in that, that, that spot where they're invested in him again. You know, maybe they want to make him feel the scorn of just not falling in line to do, uh, to, to do what he should be doing. You know, I would believe that day. Rashad, if I would believe that if a, they had given him any penalty within the organization for what just happened with the DWI right. and B if they would have given Conor McGregor any penalty for throwing a dolly. And I know people hear that and they go, Oh, come on BC. But like people got glass in their eye. Like people, right. no, it's true. It's, true. Been, it's true. You know, Rose Namunas could have took something to the head and never fought again. Right. So it's like, yeah, that was pretty damn dangerous. He got nothing. So I'm not going to believe that. So take me deeper, Rashad. I'm a, I'm a, okay. I'm going to I'm going to take you deeper. I'm going to take you deeper. Okay. If you're not, if you're not buying that, that's just one. And the other one is maybe the fact that, you know, uh, the, the, the whole, maybe the number that John threw out was, was too much. You know, I mean, John, John is probably making $5 million, $5 million at a base, you know, for, for a fight. And probably if he, if he get a fight, he's probably looking to make maybe $10 million, another $5 million on top of that. But, I mean, the truth of the matter is, what if the UFC was just like, you know what, I don't think it's going to be worth worth it because you don't sell like that john you know what what if that what if that is a situation and it, claimed, very, and it very well could be and that's the sobering reality of this he claims they said to him we will not give you any more than we would give you for blahowitz 
but we would give you potentially more on the back end with the pay-per-view. And John didn't like that. But I think that spells out what you're saying because I said that with Conor McGregor. He, Conor McGregor's gates average between 7 and 12 million, which is just insane for a live gate. John fighting in Ghana in a main event under normal times would, would probably be a pretty hefty live gate, right? That'd be a, that'd be a chunk that you could throw a couple extra to John, so to speak, for doing this. Yeah. Then you mix in, Jones has been making an average of 500000 for the released purse. Now, we all know that's not what they get, right? Somebody on John's level who's a pay-per-view headliner and a champion, like you said, probably getting closer to five. Daniel Cormier on the Ariel Hawani show just said the other day that he made $3 million in total each time he fought John, as opposed to like 150000 against Dan Henderson. So mm. you get the ballpark of what we're saying here. I'm saying that I think Jones deserves it. Even if he's not a Connor lever level mover, I feel like he would get a little bit closer by adding this level of danger. Because at the end of the day, people love personalities, Rashad. Yeah. They really want to see fights where they don't know who's going to win. And I don't care if you're an expert. I don't care if you're a buffoon. I don't care if you're a casual. You have no idea what Jones and Ganu is actually going to look like. Um, so from my standpoint, it's easy for me to say, pay the guy, yeah. whether in Pacquiao, we're making 20, 30 million guaranteed to face anyone. You telling me UFC, when you're only paying out 13% of your profits, it seems for each card to the fighters, you can't pay John Jones 15 to 20 million for this type of fight. But then I read the really smart journalists who get the financials a little bit more than me, the John Nash's, those types. And apparently, Rashad, under this ESPN pay-per-view deal, because they're the exclusive provider, you're not going through Comcast or, or whomever anymore, um, we know that UFC doesn't get as much money mm. on a big pay-per-view as they used to because they're not taking on as much risk. ESPN is taking the risk and paying UFC a minimum number for each pay-per-view. So there's the belief uh. that – think about this now. Can't pay a live gate right now. So that, you know, what if they're not getting the five, six, seven million they may have gotten for that? And if they're not making as much per pay-per-view, do you think when the numbers get crunched, and I believe even though Dana shot it down, that Endeavor's got some issues financially right now, I think the writing is on the wall for that, that they go, we probably would make the same if we paid John 500000 to fight Blahowitz rather than try to pump him up, you know, 10 times that. Maybe they're right. Maybe they're right, Rashad. I don't think that makes it right, though. Not I when mean, you have a history of underpaying folks. Yeah, I mean, listen, if, if you're going to pay somebody something that, that's like, you know, I think John Jones is definitely the guy because of the fact that, you know, I mean, what, what he's been able to do inside the octagon, the guy's been, you know, uh, amazing inside the octagon. If there's going to be a guy that you you uh, showcase what 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 uh, what he can do at the next level, it is John Jones. He's He's cleared out the division a couple times over, you know. Um, it will be interesting to see what he would do at heavyweight, and it seems like it's a natural progression for John Jones at this stage of his career. So, uh, yeah, that, right. that although would be. I, although I shot you down, Rashad. Sorry to cut you off. Although I shot you down on the idea that Dana and company have some trepidations of John's character, and by the way, they should. Okay, we're at that point now. They should have a lot of trepidations for the. I love the guy. We all love the guy. Okay. Um, I don't think that's fully the case, but I don't want to act like it's not at least part of it. The idea of, well, what if we give him McGregor money for this fight? Will we end up getting the payoff back in the long run for it? That's fair. But the only other reason I can think of, and I want to get your take on this, 
has more to, it has to do with money because money is the root of all the decision making in an entertainment business. We have to understand that, right? These are commodities. This is your, your matchmaking is like trading stocks at the end of the day. It is what it is, all right? It's a meat market, Rashad, okay? I don't make the rules, right. right? I just live in it. But uh, what if Dana White and company look at the, the landscape and go like this? If we lose John Jones to light heavyweight, we don't have any superstars. Mm. We already actually have a pretty hot a bundle right now, considering Stipe DC three is a big ass fight that needs to happen. Yeah. The winner against Francis Ngannou is a badass fight that needs to happen. And what if Dana has two schools of thought? Maybe Dana believes like I do that John Jones would handle Ngannou. Maybe Dana's thinking, so I take John out of light heavyweight. I have no stars there and I have to do a vacant title bout without getting the rub of John losing to them. Right. Because if Dom Reyes is going to be a star, he's going to be more of a star from beating John Jones without any controversy, right? Straight up right. beating John Jones, like BJ Penn passing the torch to Frankie Edgar. Like, I got to see it. I got to see it twice, but I got to see it. Um, if John just goes up right now, and if he exposes Ngannou, then you kind of lose the thunder that Ngannou just regained. Absolutely. And yes, you have John Jones against the Stipe DC winner, but you kind of always have that whenever you want if John is willing. Right. Maybe that or maybe the flip side of Dana and company go, okay, John's run at 205 lately. It's pretty close. Pretty close to losing. Uh, let's, let's keep him there so he can do what I just said, so he can make one of these guys. And then as soon as he makes one of these guys, then we let John move up. And it's really not going to hurt his legacy in the long run because if he wins the heavyweight title anyway – we're going to say he's a legend, right? Is there right, any right. that theory of matchmaking? In this? Yeah, there, there is definitely. I mean, you know, you got to look at, you got to look at your guys as if like, you know, you, you have them and you have to understand that, okay, this guy is where he's at in his career. And John, you know, has had a great career, but he's closer to the end than the beginning. And then you have Francis who's still at a point where you can still get a lot out of him. So you might want to take care of that one a little bit better versus the one, Versus, versus the John. I, I, I told I told to get that in, in a matchmaker's point of view. I mean, but if John it, got knocked out by Ngannou easily, would that that would would that kill? I mean, it would make Ngannou a massive star, but would it kill John? That's the question, right? It might see. That's the thing about it. That might like we don't know what a loss would do to John, and we don't know. And and, and you look at you look at how he behaves. You know, when he wins. <laughs> Imagine if he loses. It's... Imagine if he loses in a devastating way where there's being memes made about him and he can't find any place to, you know, find any refuge. That I mean, I'd like be to believe hurt. the warrior in there can rebuild, go back down to 205. Right. But he's also having some really close fights lately. So I don't know. I don't know, Rashad. Or like I said, maybe maybe they think John is too good for Ngannou at the moment. They're like, why ruin Ngannou when you can prop him up there against older Stipe or old DC? You know, I mean, look, there's a reason why that company makes the money it does but and, and at, the end, but at the end of the day though at the end of the day though if you if you do allow john to go in in the weight class and he does beat uh nganu that was a price for the nganu fight what is going to be the price for the championship fight you know what i'm saying it just it, it's like you may create a monster by creating a monster you know but you do understand from john's point of view you've been telling me forever when am i going to do right. I'm going to do this now when your guy in Ghana is the scariest he's ever been. And you're basically telling me, no, it's, it's interesting. It's yeah, very interesting. 
Scott. But uh, yeah, that's why they are the champions of matchmaking, and I do a podcast from my basement. All right. Um, in other news involving money and heavyweights, uh, we all know that Mike Tyson is absolutely ripped, and shout out to him at 53. Uh, I think you saw the training shirtless videos he had with Vitor Belfort the other day where Mike's got abs. We've seen him hitting the bag in those short clips. Um, he's supposedly training for a charity-type exhibition comeback against Evander Holyfield. I'm not really even sure, Rashad, what that means and if that <laughs> means like hitting each other or is this one of those like Mitt Romney, Evander Holyfield-type things where we, we, we paw at each other and, and make money for people. But it won't stop David Feldman and company at BKFC Bare Knuckle Fighting from offering him $20 million for a single fight, which we knew about. But the added sprinkle on top is that the opponent, it wouldn't be Shannon Briggs like originally talked about. It would be Vanderlei Silva. Oh. You talk about a, 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 a bowl of messy soup. Oh my I, I, need a, I just got to taste it. I just got to get it on my lips, Rashad. Yeah, that that'll be something I need to have all over my face too, man. That, <laughs> that would be some Bundy, delicious Bundy ish. Small, right? You know, Silva's small, like he's he's not exactly prime either. You could actually in a bare knuckle setup, you could you could give Mike a chance here, right? Uh Mike my, my I think Mike would do Mike Mike would do his thing. Mike is Mike is in, in the best shape I've ever seen him. You know, the way he's moving. And Mike had a, a lower back injury that that uh, that was really bothering his motion and kind of messed him up for a while, and kind of the reason why he started to put on so much weight. But once his back started to get better because of the changed diet and everything like that, and just because he started to exercise a lot more, you know, Mike is looking amazing. And and more importantly is that his mindset. See, Mike Mike has for the longest time abandoned the whole fighter mindset and he wouldn't even train just because of what it 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 brought did to his ego but now he's found a way to just um compartmentalize that aspect of it and enjoy it and enjoy training once again so it's a huge win for him and i know he's he's enjoying the fact that he likes to train now I love to see that because you're right. Every time in the past he would talk about his career, he'd always talk himself down and be like, no, I was this animal. I was, the, you know, in a bad way. Like I was, yeah. a, but, you know, and, and you're right. He didn't want to embrace the, 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 the demon inside that, that allowed him to be that vicious. And I get that. But he has um, gotten into the medicinal aspect of psychedelics like yourself. Right. Yeah. You? What have you learned from – what his journey was going through that in terms of what that's done to, to his mind and his soul to heal him. Well, it's done a lot for his mind and soul to heal him. You know, what, what it's done for Mike is it allowed him to see that experience from a perspective where he's not ashamed of it anymore. And, and, and all the things that he went through and all the mistakes that he made during that time, he doesn't need to be ashamed about them anymore because all those things that he went through, it helped him become who he is. But I think all of that, came in perspective with him just being happy with who he is right now and where he is right now. I think a lot of time, you know, the, the reason why he had a hard time uh, processing and just kind of accepting what he was before is just because of, you know, where he was at, you know, he just wasn't happy where he's at, but now he's, uh, he's happy. He's as happy as he's ever been. You know, he's, uh, he's a big fan of the toad, which is the most powerful entheogen in the world. And um, that allowed him to see himself in perspective that allowed him to heal himself. All right, hearing things like your story, like this story, it's making me a believer to the idea of doing this safely and in a controlled manner to produce healing and having, you know, dabbled in mental health challenges at times in my life. It's like, 
I, res- I respect that this uh, topic is coming to the forefront and that people that we care about in the sports game, like yourself, who, you know, it's not easy being a pro fighter and yeah. uh, that you guys are able to, to benefit from that. Uh, by the way, how surreal is it that you call Mike Tyson a friend? I know you're, <laughs> but there's got to be a part of you that's like, I could call Mike Tyson right now if I wanted to. It's, it's crazy. I'm actually going to go and see Tyson after this podcast. I'm going to go. Oh, whoa, all right. You got to go check him out. So you did get a little bit of sound, by the way. You mentioned how his back is healed up now. I broke my back. Mean <laughs> by that? Your back is broken. Spinal, spinal, Rashad. Okay, that's what he said. On <laughs> Classic clip, clip from the Clifford ATN fight. On a close on Tyson, really fast. Um, you got half the population going, "Oh my God, he's so ripped! I bet he could fight." Insert name, right? Whether it's boxer, MMA guy, retired guy, whatever, and. Then you got other people going, look, this is not Rocky Balboa. This is not the movies. Um, this man has been through hell and back in his life. He's 53. Why are we pushing him towards maybe getting back in there and taking real punches again? Where do you sit being a friend of the man in that conversation? Um, I think that it's all about the matchup. You know, as long as he's not outmatched, as long as he's fighting somebody who is equal to him, I feel as if, like, he'll do well. You know, for, for the most part, when, when you're Mike Tyson, I think that, you, you retain, obviously you see that he retained a lot of what he has and, and his ability to, to punch. Now his ability to take a punch, uh, has, he, hasn't, he hasn't been punched in a while, but you know, having time off of, of having that abusive body can allow his body to come back. So he probably can take some punches, but at the same time, he's not, I wouldn't recommend him fighting somebody at, you know, a younger, much, you know, one, one of these uh, younger fighters, you know, maybe somebody, and even, uh, Tito Ortiz, I've seen him do a video talking about somebody asked him would he fight a Mike Tyson. I think that would be a perfect matchup, you know, wow. Mike Tyson against a Tito Ortiz or it something like that. It would certainly sell. I, I would be into it. You have a problem? Turn off your station. Uh, he's also gotten called out by, uh, you, are you familiar with Big John Fury, the father of Tyson Fury? I'm looking at fighting Mike Tyson. How's that? <laughs> Mike's making a comeback. I don't value my life to 50 pence. But let me tell you something, Mike Tyson is worth doing charity with. He went on to uh, to basically say, uh, I don't care. I'm a fighting man. I will die in that ring. I want to fight the best. And uh, my boxing co-host, Rafe Bartholomew, did say, if we ever got Big John Fury against Tyson Fury, then that headline on the marquee would be Tyson Fury. Yeah, yeah it would. It would, right? Pretty uh, interesting right there. Um. Did you see uh, Mike Tyson made an appearance at the AEW Pro Wrestling pay-per-view in Jacksonville over the weekend on Saturday and uh, got into a, a little bit of a snaggle there with Jake the Snake Roberts? But I've been seeing pictures the last couple of days of him partying with the AEW crew, Cody Rhodes, Jim Ross, all the old wrestlers there. And in the background, Rashad, one Henry Cejudo. <laughs> yeah. Which makes us transition to this topic and by the way, shout out to the great Mike Tyson. We all love him. We all want the best for him. I'm going to make you my girlfriend. Well, if we have to go there, Mike, I would do that for you because I love you there. <laughs> um, Henry Cejudo, in, well, first of all, don't ever forget, though, what uh, Joseph Benavides said to him. I used to f*** cool. like you in high school. Wow. 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 <laughs> okay. Um, Rashad, Henry Cejudo's retirement is real. No longer yeah. are we bluffing. No longer is his manager saying one thing, his trainer saying another he vacated the Bantamweight title. He tweeted out a thank you to Dana White. There is some speculation about 
Is he going to sit around for a while and wait for the next big super fight? Which is probably going to happen because he's a businessman. And he's still really damn good. He's 33 and right at the top of the pound for pound list, you know, in that two, three, four area. Seeing him party with the AEW crew, I don't know. You could put some two and two together, although he's really small from the idea of would he could certainly talk on the mic if he wants to go into wrestling. But uh, what, what do you feel now, now that it's official? Henry Cejudo out. Um, we talk about guys never control their, their narrative, right? Roy Jones didn't walk away at 34. Right. Henry walking away at 33, man. I'm, I'm always going to applaud somebody who does this. Even if I believe they're coming back or not, I'm always going to applaud it. Yeah, and I applaud him. You know, to be able to have the strength to uh, to walk away from it all, it shows humility and um, just a self awareness that that uh, you don't you you rarely see in someone uh, at that level in their career. You know, it takes a, a strong person to really know what they want in order to make a decision like that when they're at their absolute best. You know, no one tells you to stop when you're doing good, and it's even harder to stop when you're doing good. So. Um, the fact that he's able to do that, it, it, um, it, it kind of, it kind of resonates with who he, who he's always been, you know, and, uh, it makes sense that he's done this. It's just, uh, interesting to see like what his next challenge is going to be, because when you're a world champion, you just don't stop. You got to find the next challenge. As we've seen, he went from Olympics to UFC. So I'll just stay tuned to see what his next cha- his chapter is. Maybe, maybe. AEW uh, wrestling. Who knows? Maybe that's why he was there with Mike Tyson. If he committed to it, even though he is small, but obviously it's 2020, smaller, undersized wrestlers can have huge careers. Um, if he committed to it physically, I mean, he's such a great athlete and he has that Olympic level commitment. That it's like, we got to give him that credit because he was not the same fighter when he fought Mighty Mouse the first time, right? The fighter that he no, is he today. I mean, he's, he's a brilliant fighter. And yeah, he's cringe as heck, but he's figured out how to market himself and, and make it fun. But more importantly to the UFC, what this division, this decision does is it opens up the floodgates in a overcrowded bottleneck division, Rashad. Dana had previously said that Peotre Jan, Peter Jan, would get the next title defense. Nothing has been announced now. But it kind of – are you getting the feels that I'm feeling that it would have to be Jan against Marlon Marais because they were scheduled to fight anyway before the pandemic? And Marais just beat Jose Aldo coming off the loss to Cejudo where – he was going to get screwed over because Aldo was going to get the opportunity coming off of a loss. Would you be happy if it's Jan Marais for the vacant belt? I would, but I would be happier if they did a tournament. I think that would be happy, but that would be very Bellator-ish. But I think, listen, when, when very, they – when too. Very cool. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. But here's the, here's the thing. I think that, I think that a, a tournament-style thing will kind of add a new wrinkle to the UFC – and, and it will kind of uh, – it'll bring interest in, in the weight class, you know, to kind of make people pay attention who becomes a new champion. Everybody wants to see the new champion crown, and nothing more exciting than seeing, you know, fighters actually fight for it, you know, when, whenever uh, – it, it seems like when, when, you, when you have a situation where it's like, okay, these are the two guys that we decide to be the champion, the winner is usually the next fight I usually see as their, their – um, is the, is the real challenge. I feel like I feel like the first one is more like a gift, and then the second one is more like, all right, they're going to put a stamp on them being a champion, you know? So do a tournament. I wish they would. They did. Let's remember. They did it for flyweight. When they just yes. that the division, you had Ian McCall, Benavidez, you had Demetrius Johnson. I'm forgetting who the fourth guy was off the top of my head, but, you know, that was fun. It created a, a must-see rematch there after the close Benavidez-Mighty uh, Mouse fight in there. Um, 
they're kind of, so the, 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 the natural progression of this conversation is they're kind of doing a de facto tournament as it is. So why not embrace it? What I mean by that, right. the fights are starting to fill out for the next pay-per-view. It's UFC 250. It's two Saturdays from now on June 9th or June 6th, excuse me. And Rashad, um, I, so look, it, it's missing a main event. It's Amanda Nunes and Felicia Spencer, a good fight, not a great fight, a perfect co-main event that's going to main event that card. It's missing a, a, a real main event, so to speak. No disrespect to either fighter, but it's deep on like fighters fights. It's deep on like things I need to see. And within those things are three Bantamweight bouts, which are all badass and they kind of fit into the grounds of a tournament. Make the damn tournament. Here's what we got, Rashad. Rafael Asuncao against a returning Cody Garbrandt. Yup, sign me up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. John O'Malley against the veteran Eddie Wineland. Okay, okay. Yeah. And then Al Jermaine Sterling against Corey Sanhagen, which, by the way, if you threw the vacant title on that fight, how much could you complain either? Because that's right. a fight we got to see right now. So 250 kind of get me fired up here. And it should. You know, listen, like the tournament would be such a great idea. Like it would bring so much excitement to the weight class who was gaining momentum you know henry zahudo as cringe as he was he brought excitement to the 135 weight class and people are starting to talk about that weight class and for the first time it looked as if like it was starting to take shape i mean listen i'm listen tj dillashaw did a great job dominic cruz did a great job in that in that division but i feel as if during those times there wasn't the competitors you know what i'm saying there was sporadic competitors but it just wasn't that that, like you said, the bottleneck of talent that we have right now in the 135 division. So I think you got to take advantage of it. And I think you you maximize it and you build all these guys into stars. So that so that way, no matter, you know, no matter what, you can't lose. And the best way you do that is by creating a tournament, I think. Well, even if we don't get it officially, which I don't think we will, the fact that the if we get Jan Marais, it's a perfect fight. And shout out for Marlon Marais for bouncing back from the knockout loss to Hudo by beating Aldo. And if the winner of that fought, fight fought the winner of Sanhagen Aljo, then I think all would be right in the world. Now, that doesn't mean UFC won't plug in Jose Aldo, you know, at some point or won't plug in Tom Cruise. I mean, like, you know, there's a lot of old, interesting names here. Faber's lingering and all that. But we're going to find out some answers, at least, from these three Bantamweight fights coming up. I can't wait. Also, by the way, uh, Chase Hooper, the featherweight against Alex Casares. That's going to be an interesting fight as well. Um I like to chase Hooper's growth a, a ton, but uh, Cody Garbrandt, man, coming off three knockout defeats, getting right back in the deep end. How feel since I don't play, Rashad? You know this about this man. He may be thirty-seven, but yeah. uh, this is gonna be a good ass fight, man. I'm, I'm, I'm pumped. I'm pumped. It's, uh, it's an open, it's open season at Bandwidth. We're gonna see who comes out of that. It's, it's it is, man. I hope, I hope Cody gets it, man. Listen, I, I don't like to, I don't like to hope for a fight, but I like Cody, man. Cody's a good guy, and. Um, I, I just I just feel as if like you know he's that that streak that that bad streak of getting knocked out and losing and and uh, that he's been on it's so hard because there are little mistakes right but what happens is because he's been knocked out he's paid the ultimate mental price for those mistakes so now mentally speaking those mistakes they 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 lock you into a position where it makes you almost afraid to compete the way you wanted to because you're like, I don't want it to happen again. You know, in those fights where, you know, some of those fights he was doing pretty good, but then he ended up getting in the exchange and he getting caught. So is he going to be the same fighter to take risk? Is he going to be the same guy that stands in a pocket and, and, and throws, you know, I know he's been working 
with Mark Henry and stuff like that. So we're going to see if that actually changes, you know, the angles in which he punches. So then that way he won't be in a 50 50 exchange where he can punch the guy and the guy can equally punch him. Yeah. You hope the best for him to, to get that talent out of him. Still so young, so much ability, man. Um, I don't think it's just a chin issue. I think it's just more of a mentality of just yeah. fighting too dangerous, fighting crazy. Um, it's going to be great to see. Also, for these two cards, it's this fight night card this Saturday. We're going to preview that in a minute to close the show. And 250. They're both going to take place at the UFC Apex in Vegas. Good to see that development of news. It makes a lot of sense. UFC did say the PI will not be open and fighters won't have an availability to that. What, what's the deal with that? Is that more of a covid type response i think so i think they're just trying to figure out a way to uh make it safe for everybody and to be compliant with the, uh, the new standards and uh and the way that the uh training facility in is very transient so there's no way to really know who's going to come in and when it's just that somebody has to be there Fair and point. it takes a lot of staff for them to man you know well the interesting news that came out of today is that that apex cage oh oh by the way is one of them Closed tight ones, 25 feet in diameter. Uh, UFC Ooh. likes it that way for the Dana White Contender Series. It's the old WEC side Ooh. because guess what? They bang. Um, they bang. Here's what's interesting. The news broke out. John Morgan put it out there from uh, MMA Junkie. And then big John McCarthy came over the top and was like, just to clarify, UFC can fit a 30-footer in there. They just prefer the 25-footer. Um, what do you think this change? How, what's the, you've been in the cage. What's the difference for the extra five feet? Well, for one, it, um, on TV, it may look a lot better because there's no crowd and stuff like that. So the smaller cage may look a lot better, but I mean, let them bang, bro. You know what I'm saying? Let them bang a lot, a lot more action. You know, uh, the, the, what you don't want is you don't want to have a cage too big where there's no crowd. And, and and the fighters are just moving around each other. So I think the smaller cage kind of uh, helps the whole fight flow better for them, you know. And and it makes sense. I mean, when you when you're in a cage like that, you you really don't feel like you have much room at all, and you almost you you got to feel like you got to fight the whole time. Do you train typically in a twenty five or thirty foot one? Uh, I used to train in in a twenty five. Sometimes smaller. Sometimes smaller. Some gyms have the smaller ones. Uh, but you, you get used to it's a different strategy altogether when you're fighting in a different size cages. And that's one thing that, you know, fighters get, would, would need to be aware of is the fact that just the strategy of the pace of the fight has to be different in a smaller cage. Let me bang with somebody. They will. They, I mean, when you're in a cage that tight, there's only you can not help but put it on them, right? I want you to put it on. I want you to try your best to put on me because that's the only way I want it. If you don't give me everything you got, I'm going to be pissed off. That's what she said. Hey, Tito. Oh, Tito. Uh, Also, to close on this is uh, the drug – I'm sorry, the COVID testing. Um, UFC did come under fire for the way the Jacare thing was handled and the fact that it didn't actually line up to the letter of the law of what they presented to the State of Florida Commission. You had the New York Times coming out with an expose, which Dana hammered. And then you had Thomas Hauser of Boxing Scene, who's the notorious – notorious is not the right word – who's the detailed, like – voice of reason against USADA. He typically writes about boxing. He's the famous Ali biographer. But he came out with all the details of where UFC missed it in Florida. 
And UFC has responded per Mark Raimondi of ESPN or, or Ariel reported as well that uh, you're going to see like double the testing. You're going to get the COVID swab twice, once when you arrive as a fighter along with the blood test. And then you get COVID swabbed uh, for the weigh-in as well. And you cannot leave your hotel until the test comes back and you're cleared. I don't know how they're going to pull this off for shot, but any time you're getting even tighter on the testing, it's got to be a good thing. So, all right. Yeah, it's got to be a good thing. But, I mean, as a fighter, it's it's kind of be one of those things where each and every single time you, you take a test, you gotta, <laughs> you're you nervous. You're nervous because you don't know uh, what's going to happen. And your whole um, – everything can be contingent upon you being able to fight. And now here's the thing. Whenever you get yourself down to weight, I always got sick before – a little sick or something a couple weeks before – I uh, cut weight or stuff like that. I would get like a cold. And usually what happens is when your body gets run down to a certain point, you do the sickness in your body that's already in your body. It does kick up. And now the one now, now, now here's my thing. Now these fighters who have this action, have this reaction happen to them because they're cutting weight. Now they run a risk of potentially, you know, uh, failing the COVID test, which is, which is tough, you know? And, And it's like, it's kind of one of those things where you don't know uh, what what this criteria really means, you know? Yeah, I don't have the answers. Um, I just hope everyone's safe. I'll tell you what. said it last week. Say it every week. They ain't putting that thing in my nose, Rashad. You ain't getting in my brain, all right? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Okay, it took me a lot of years, a lot of prodding to get me into that vasectomy exam test. Uh, <laughs> Rashad, three, okay? Ooh. Three. Three, all right? I'm scarred for life from that. Thank you. Uh, This weekend, we have in Las Vegas the UFC Fight Night card. It is going to be on regular ESPN from the Apex facility. And you know what, Rashad, this? Decent card, but this main event absolutely bangs. Gilbert Burns on a five-fight win streak at age 33, the jiu-jitsu expert who's figured out how to mix that striking in well. Fresh off the TKO win of the legend, Damian Maya is going to face a returning Tyron Woodley. First fight for T-Wood since Kamaru Usman took his title, dominated him over five rounds. Holy crap, this is a good-ass fight. What the heck should we expect from this one? Man, it's, it's hard to know what to expect from this one just because, I mean, you know, Tyron Woodley is, is coming from a place where he's, he's fighting – and he's coming from the darkness, you know what I'm saying? He's he's invoking a lot of that darkness and pain that he's been feeling. And you see it, you know, you watch him on his IG, you kind of watch him in interviews, and you feel that he's he he's in that place, you know, that mental place where he's going to, uh, you know, fight like hell. And uh, you have Gilbert Burns, who went on a five-fight winning streak. And, you know, what he's been mentally gaining in those five fights has been, you know, unspeakable. Because watching him go from, you know, the, the guy who was trying to, barely keep a spot in the UFC to now being one of the guys who is in the forefront in this division is a huge shift in the mental process and, and his whole approach to even training and everything else has dramatically tra- changed. So going to the gym and just watching him grow as an athlete and as a professional has been, has been amazing for me. So I, I think that you know, this fight for, for Gilbert is going to be his coming out party. I think that he, in this fight he's going to show – that the tools that he have it is not solely jujitsu. You know, he's got uh, he's been able to to catch people with his left hook, and he's got some stand up striking skills. But 
he he mixes it up really well, and uh, I think he's going to really showcase that in this fight. Now, Tyron Woodley's 38. He's coming off a long layoff here. Our friends at William Hill, Rashad, have T. Wood as a minus 189 favorite. Does that surprise you, or is that about right, given that this is a step up in talent for Gilbert Burns despite the five-fight win streak? I think I think that is about right. You know, you gotta you gotta acknowledge the the role and and the people who T Wood is beating. You know, T Wood is is one of the best in the game for the longest time. You know, he said that he was the best, and arguably so. At one point, he was that guy. You can arguably say, you know, he he can, uh, you know, he, he was up there in, in light heavy. I mean, in uh, welterweight history. But now this is a different T Wood. You know, a T Wood has been had his ego deflated a bit by the fight with Kamaru Usman. Now, now the question is, has he gained that back enough to compete at the highest level with guys who, who just are not getting the call to fight him, but want to fight him? They're preferring, they're calling him out. Gilbert has been calling Tyron out for months for this fight. So that's a different kind of fight when you have a fight, a guy who's foaming at his mouth to fight you. I want you to put it on me. It's really yeah, for um, real. I love this fight because you're going to find out if Gilbert Burns wins, this is the leap. This is like, this guy's a legitimate title contender who's figured out the game. But then I like the comeback story of the OG who, uh, before that devastating loss, was on a incredible six-year run of not losing, yeah. of, of like, again, he doesn't get, Tyron Willie does not get the respect he deserves. I think a lot of that is because, Dana White kind of set that to, that tone of, of not respecting the guy when he came out there and Mayweather guys. He efficiently disarmed them of their best weapon and beat them at their own game one after another, and it was impressive, and he's super elite, but he is 38 now. He is a, an explosive guy, although he's, you know, he's smart and he's efficient in there. Um, you know, I would be just as happy if he came out of here and reminded us who he is because that swag, that star power would be great to keep around at the highest level of this division. And there's that idea that was he doing too much, Rashad, too much TMZ rap videos, too much, right. you know, whatever in the buildup to, to the Usman fight. He's got that chance to let us know. Can't wait. Do you have a prediction? Ah, uh, man, it's going to be a close fight. I think that, um, I can't say close. I think it's gonna be a good fight. Um, I think that whoever wins is gonna is gonna be it's gonna be a dominant win. Um, I think that I think that uh, Gilbert's gonna get the win. Okay. I think that I think that he's going to be able to uh, to catch to catch um, T Wood and something. I think that it's going to be some scrambling where where he kind of catches T Wood. That's what uh, I think. Rashad, according to Wikipedia, the co-main event on Saturday is heavyweights Blagoy Ivanov and Augusto Sakai. Uh, that ain't acceptable where I come from, Rashad. What the hell's going on here? <laughs> man, it's quarantine times, man. You know, it's hard to get those names. You know, you can't they, – they can't uh, call up the other countries and have these guys come over. So right now, this is what's called scraping for talent. <laughs> yes. Well, they were scraping so much that Kevin Holland, the, weather, the welterweight who had the impressive win two weeks ago, was going to be back on this card against Daniel Rodriguez. He actually, Holland just pulled out within the last hour with an injury. Uh, we have lightweight Roosevelt Roberts against Brock Weaver on this main card. Um, I don't know much what's going on there. Anything to look at in that fight? Uh, I mean, Brock, Brock Weaver's been look, looking pretty good. You know, he, uh, um, he beat my godson to get into the, uh, okay. to okay. get into the UFC. So I've been following him a bit and now, you know, he's, he's, uh, 
his last fight, he fought not too long ago, actually. And uh, he had a, a dominant wrestling game. So he's going back to his wrestling and kind of starting to figure things out a bit there. Interesting opener on this main card. Uh, Mackenzie Dern coming back after her first defeat. Remember, she gave birth. Mm-hmm. New mom came back very quickly against Amanda Rebus, who is a tough out for anybody and lost a unanimous decision. Didn't really look like herself. You know, had said that maybe she wasn't in the shape she would have wanted to be. Uh, really came back quick. I mean, quick from uh, uh, from that. Now she's going to get back here against Hannah Cyphers. Um, this is going to be interesting because. You know, straight up, Mackenzie Dern's got a lot of questions to answer. She's missed weight yeah. in her career. We've seen some really strong jujitsu and, and ground and pound out of her. But, you know, I, I'm not going to be able to sit here and tell you what a woman psychologically and mentally goes through giving birth and trying to get back on track as a fighter. I have so much respect for this type of storyline. But she's got to come out there and prove it to us. She does. She's fighting Hannah Cyphers, who, uh, who lost against uh, Angela Hill and her home. So she's kind of, she, she, you know, when you lose at home, it kind of, it ignites something different in you. And I, and I seen a look in her eyes, you know, the kind of hurt that she had that night. It was one of those ones where you change after that night. You're like, you know what, I'm going to do something different. And I've seen it in her eyes. So I'm looking for Hannah to come out in this fight and, and show a different side to her. You know, I think that she's going to come out. She, Hannah's a tough fighter anyways. You know, she's, she's surprisingly tough because you wouldn't expect someone so quiet and so mousy and just how they, their demeanor to be such a beast. But she is that when she gets uh, herself the way that she wants to, you know, uh, your prelim main event is an interesting fight. Caitlin Chukagian, the recent title contender at women's flyweight who lost to Valentina Shevchenko in very one-sided fashion is going to run it back against her older sis, Antonina. I like this kind of pro wrestling crap. Give it to me, Rashad here. Come on. Um, I like it. We've seen Antonina a bit. She's not Valentina, but she's the decorated martial artist in her, whole, in her own way. She's 35, though. She's six in, I'm sorry, eight and one and is coming off a win. What's her ceiling? I mean, can she beat Caitlin Shukajian here? This is a tough matchup. Yeah, she, she, she can beat her, but, um, uh, you know, it's still so hard to say what her ceiling is just because of the fact that, you know, she she's competing in the same weight class as her sister. So I don't know if that's, you know, I don't know if that's helping her or hurting her. You know, it's still too early to tell because she she hasn't competed enough. But you would think tra- uh, training alongside the best and, and, and working with the best and having that as, you know, your your partner would, would definitely uh add tremendous benefits when you go against the rest of the competition who's not facing the champion every single day, right? So you would think that that would help her, but I, I just haven't seen enough of that. And I don't know if it's because of, um, you know, the MMA aspect is not translating as well, but it showed in the last fight where she was able to, you know, work some ground that she does have the knowledge on the ground and can definitely, you know, it, uh, ex, you know, tap people out. So, She's grown in skill, but Caitlin Chukagan is at a level where she did not um, beat her sister. But in that fight, she showed me some good things. And I think that that's something that she's been building off of. And she's been working more with her, her, her husband, who's a wrestler, uh, Kyle. And uh, I think she's going to implement more of that. And I think if she does that, then she can have the kind of fight that uh, she dominates. Very interesting. Val- uh Antonina is the betting favorite on every website across the board. 
Very slight favorite, but that is interesting. Caitlin coming there off the feet, but uh, she fought, you know, arguably the best in the world there. Well, um, maybe that's maybe that's what they're seeing. Maybe they're seeing the fact that listen, you know, she's training with her sister, she's training with the world champ every day. You know, the, hey, the veterans—they are pretty smart here. Uh, the only other fight I wanted to mention is we said there's a lot of bantamweight fights that matter coming up the following week. There's a bantamweight fight on this card. It's Lewis Smolka against heavy favorite. Casey Kenny. Rashad, I saw that name and I said, I think I know that name. I do. Let me bang with somebody. Let somebody stand up and bang with me. The original banger himself, Casey Kenny. I'm gonna have to get the guy on this show just to explain that that famous song. <laughs> said, that, bang, uh, said that last August when he defeated Manny Bermudez. He came back in his next fight in February and lost to Murab. Uh, long Georgian last name that I won't pronounce. But uh, all right, shout out to that card. Should be fun this weekend, Rashad. Um, you, we got to get you back in the analyst chair, though. Okay? Would you? Would you? Would you get on the plane right now with 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 gloves and a face mask? Would you do it? With, with gloves and a face mask? I mean, I'll, I'll get on it without gloves and a face okay. mask. Yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah, I'll I'll, I'll, I'll I'll get on the plane. I, I would definitely go and travel and do one of these shows. It's been uh. It's been a long quarantine, you know, and being able to uh, get out and get on my regular routine will feel good again. But at the same time, BC, I'm enjoying being here. I enjoy this this me and you that we have going. I think me and you should should be more of a thing. You know what I'm saying? Make it. Well, put a put a ring on it. Okay, let's make this more <laughs> of a thing. There. Um, shout out to the uh, wall behind your head. If anyone isn't seeing Sugar Rashad Evans's new shot on CBS Sports HQ, all the great memorabilia. Of a great Hall of Fame career is behind you, right? You got the belt back there? Nah, the belt, the belt's hanging up. I was gonna put it up back here somewhere, but I got, I got some gloves, I got some fight stuff, everything. You man. have specifically like the fight worn trunks against uh, Liddell and the gloves from that night. Were you yeah, like? Yeah, I, I have them. I kept them all. Yep, I got them all. Yeah, okay, okay. I got almost, I got almost all of my, uh, my, my gloves and stuff, except for the ones like I gave to charity and stuff like that. But for the most part, I got them all. One day they're going to have to make a physical Hall of Fame, Rashad, and then you can put some of that stuff in there. I right? know, right? Absolutely. But the Apex, right? Charge $5 admission. Right. Right? Okay, there it is. All right. Hey, that's our show for this week. Enjoy the fights this Saturday. We will have analysis for you, of course, heading in and heading out on CBS Sports HQ. Rashad, we're going to make this show bigger, all right? We're going to do more story time with Rashad. We're getting up into the Tito Ortiz Part 1 time coming up in the near future. So that's a that's a young Rashad ready to burst out. <laughs> all right, spoiler alert. Close fight, though. Close fight, Tito. Uh, Rashad, do you have any message for the people as we uh, exit today? Nah, just, uh, thank everybody for joining us, man. And like you said, BC, we're going to grow this thing and make it as big as possible. So continue to follow us every single week. At State of Combat on Twitter, at Sugar Rashad Evans, at Lee Campbell, CB as two words for the people. We out. This is Tony Kornheiser's show. I'm Tony. We expected someone else. So what exactly is the show about? Hmm, I don't know. It's a sports show nominally. Football's over, but we're finally at a point where things matter in college basketball. And baseball season is on deck. Greatest three words in the English language, pitchers and catchers. We have some of the best voices come on and explain what matters or what makes an upset, like Ryan does, <laughs> 9 over 8. No, that's not an upset. No, yeah, it is, Bob. And if you're lucky, I might just tell you about my search for discounted sleep pants or my worries about what my dog just ate. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.